From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in objective, cluttered Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are game programming and game dev workspaces. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. <laughs> so we, we got started. Uh, we got delayed a little bit yes. uh, in our recording um, from Dale, who my wife, who calls during the show pr- every time. Pretty much, yeah. Right? Yeah, literally. Uh, <laughs> but uh, normally I just ignore it, but she got, a, got us just before we started, so I had to answer the, the, the phone. Um, but it was good that she did, because uh, right after I hung up with her, I got another phone call from a person. So we're hanging out here at Glitch HQ on the weekend, and we went out to lunch after our recording uh, the episode you guys heard last week uh, with Ellen, and uh, I, we found a phone on the, like a, a, a fully charged up cell phone yeah. on the street, and uh, not knowing what to do, and it was it had no security on it, so I could actually text somebody and say, "Hey, you you lost your phone," and we got luckily they got in touch with us, and so we were able to to give them their phone back. So <laughs> thanks, Dale, for stopping our recording long enough to get that so that maybe less panic in these people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. They seemed really relieved when they got their home. Yeah, it was like a whole story and it's not ours to tell, but I'm glad they got the, that phone back. So. <laughs> uh, what else is happening in uh, our local lo- news? My game has an inventory now, Ooh. which I coded last night and uh, you can put things in your inventory. You can't take them out of your inventory or use them for anything, but <laughs> you can have them. <laughs> well, relating so. maybe to our topic today, like why would you ever want to use things you collect <laughs> or get rid of them? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Just collect all things. Yeah. Never get them. Away. Um, we also now have a channel on the Slack, on the MSP Game Dev Slack, uh, hashtag Nice Games Club. Lane, Lane made it. Oh, he's been on the show before and he's Basically, our number one fan. <laughs> and, uh, um, He'll take an exception to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, There'll be a post yeah. on that channel first thing. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm waiting for it, Lane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tag me in it, please. Yeah. So, yeah. If, you wanna, if, if you're local, if you're part of that Slack, and you yes. can be a member of that Slack um, group uh, just by going to a link that we'll put in the show notes if yes. you're local to our community, um, you can go to that channel and talk about the show, which is really nice. We have a couple of people in our community who wanted to chat about the show not with us but with each other and so that's really exciting so mm-hmm. it's uh, really cool so if you want to join that uh, conversation tease us mercilessly uh, which I, that's really what it's for right that's like why Lane started it <laughs> yeah I think that's basically it so Charles has a place we can publicly announce all of the failures <laughs> on the show. One of these days, I want to make a segment called uh, the, the Perpetual Student Corrects Stephen McGregor. <laughs> that segment would never end. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it would just be, yeah. <laughs> Goodness. That's pretty good. Stephen, uh, you have a lot of personal news. Oh, uh, I share, right? I do. Um, I got interviewed um, from uh, Troy Strand. Writing, he writes for tech.mn, and I got interviewed there. I uh, will also link to my interview in the show notes. Yeah, he um, does a Ask an Indie Dev ask, column. Yeah, Ask an Indie, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Basically just gushed about the community <laughs> the entire time because <laughs> y'all are great. Uh, <laughs> and I want you to know that. Very um, nice. Very sweet. In other news, I got stuck in the snow because we live in Minnesota and there's a lot of snow here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a storm this weekend and yes. the Stephen, they didn't plow outside your house. <laughs> well, they do. It's just they do it at like 
the day after it snowed. Uh-huh. So I basically just okay. So this, it's a whole thing. On Friday, it snowed in the morning, and so I was like, I gotta get to work. I got places to be. Uh, my dad is like, man, maybe you should, maybe you should, uh, you know, hold off on it. Maybe you shouldn't go because like there's a lot of the weather's pretty bad out there. The snow is hard. You might get stuck. And I'm like, nah, dad, I got this. Immediately got stuck <laughs> outside of my driveway. <laughs> and then it snowed uh, all of Saturday. And um, and then in the morning, I was like, I have to come over here. This is the, so Sunday. This is the day we're recording this. Uh, I was like, I have to go over this. I got to go this, get this recording done. This is going to be great. My dad's like, maybe you should hold off on your plans. <laughs> you might get stuck again. I was like, nah, dad. It's not going to happen twice. It happens twice. <laughs> so... Uh, I got, I got a ride. Thankfully, Dale was um, near me and was able to give me a ride here. So yeah, here and you did you had to walk a block or something, right? Uh, I had to walk a few blocks. It's like because <laughs> because no one can traverse your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless you had a truck or something. We don't have trucks, uh, so <laughs> that was the whole thing. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. Yes. <laughs> glad I'm not stranded in the snow either. Yeah. <laughs> the epic story. Uh, uh, up to the making of this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Behind the scenes look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice game stuff. And that's, I, we're very giddy right now. And I think it's just because we have lots of little silly things that have happened today. A lot of little meta stuff. Yeah. Like, Mark, yeah. you also have news. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this. Um, I've been working on Metro Nexus and I don't know if I've mentioned on the show before um, that I'm making these uh, overworld maps uh, for my game. So um, my game is mostly a multiplayer experience and I've talked about that on the show. But there's a single player mode that I, in the nicest of 2017, I promised the world would be delivered this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that promise is a promise. So um, what I'm, I'm doing is I'm working on the sort of overworld for all the different zones in my game. And in my game, each sort of world is a city, a real world city. And it looks kind of like a Mario 3 overworld map, but it, it's uh, like a um, it's using that city's um, subway system as a as a guide uh, for the levels that are in that city. And so um, I've been uh, and I have 30 of these cities, um, a total of 200 st- stations or levels. And I'm not going to put that many in the game. Like, I'm not a crazy person. Yeah. But um, the idea is, is that. I, these are all the cities that will ever be in the game. So the idea is, is to, to build a lot of these levels and art styles for each city and release the game, but then also have like a DLC strategy or a future expansion strategy that include these extra things. And rather than wait until then to make the infrastructure for them, I just decided um, that it would just be easier that I would just build the scaffolding for this whole thing now. Mm-hmm. And so it was this, I just did this sprint of 30 different maps, all inspired by real-world uh, subway systems, um, and I've been posting them on Twitter, so I'll put that that link in the show notes. So you can kind of check out the craziness that I was subjecting myself to for it turned out to be about 15 days to make all these things. And I'm really, really happy with how they worked out. I just over the weekend I've wired them all into my game, so they all work now. Ooh. They all they all go to a level, which is just a screen that says click this button to beat this level. <laughs> so like it's just ready, it's ready to be popped in. And I, that's the I'm really excited about that part, the the point in the in my game that I'm at right now, mm-hmm. which is like I'm very close to just being able to make content, and that's it. Like I don't, it's, it's so much else is ready to go. Cool. And I'm very pleased about that, even in the single player mode. So um, it's a big milestone for my work this year and it's very, very exciting. And I got to do so much fun research on all these different cities and all of the, 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 their subway systems and their public transit. And like I chose cities that worked in terms of the progression of how the game would work on the world map. But some of those cities are not 
don't have really like um, they don't have like fully built out subway systems, but I would look up plans for subway systems, mm-hmm. and I would look up tra- tram systems and streetcars and different things, and extrapolate what it might look like if there were only like five stops, and it was a su- you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm trying to make it look like a, a reduction, a, a reducted um, sort of game screen overworld screen. I had so much fun doing that. Um, like taking station names and combining them uh, nearby stations to make a new name that's of sort of that neighborhood and kind of and putting a lot of in jokes and references and I learned so much and I'm going to talk about this in a future episode about like the research that you put in uh, to your game because I, I I really got a lot out of it and I think I really hope that this is a part of my game people will 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 note because yeah. um, I feel really good about it and it was just so much fun to do and uh, I put a lot of my artistic energy into it not just my actual, my time um, so it's been a blast so uh, you can check them out and see what I'm going on about and if it's worth the excitement I have for it or not <laughs> <laughs> they're really beautiful maps oh yeah, thank you thank are. you so much I really want a poster talked about this before yeah <laughs> Mark make me a poster please okay I will do <laughs> I'll put that at the end of my to-do list <laughs> so expect it in 2022 <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta finish Widget Satchel first. Oh, yeah. Wow. We're not gonna take four years to finish that game. No, it's just that's in the middle of our list. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> we gotta make our sprocket plush, though. That's, oh, yeah. That's that high, comes that's first. That's high on the list. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. For sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, why don't we get into it, huh? Yes. Uh, this first topic is mine. It is. It's game programming. So I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, uh, not just g- general programming topics which we've done on this show before, uh-huh. um, but sort of what the twist you take on when you're actually making a game, like the sort of the must needs, the things you don't need to worry about. Yeah. Um, and and I, I want to sort of filter this through um, the lens of the things I've learned as a self-taught programmer and then a self-taught game programmer uh, and ask you guys a little bit about how you guys approach it because I think there's really like, there's so many different ways to approach these things. There's even best practices are sort of open to interpretation. And so oh. I just want to have a discussion about that. Yeah. Um, so I want to sort of start out with where you start. You start with uh, wireframes, prototypes, um, uh, you know, white box content, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of times they start with design documents. But once you really need to start programming, um, you know, where, it is, where do you start? Um, Steven? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that because you said you were going to ask me this question. I did warn you. Yes, and I still am unprepared. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm not exactly sure. I feel like it depends on. It obviously it depends on the project, but like, I think I sort of just rush to get something down yeah. as quickly as possible, so I have something to work with. Right. Um, at least that's the goal. Yeah. But I oftentimes spend a bunch of time thinking about how I will do it, and then changing my mind, and then thinking about it more. And then changing my mind. <laughs> and then thinking about it a little bit. And then changing my mind. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe, no, no, still changing my mind. And then doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find that the design process is one where I want to have a lot of my ideas sorted and organized yeah. before I really start. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for actually implementation, I feel much better about diving in because it's all going to be re- rewritten anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, I don't know. I get, I get in my head. Yeah, when I'm trying to prototype, I'm like, I can do this, and then I, if I if I plan it out right, then maybe let down the line, I won't have to do it deal with this stuff. So if I do it this way, but then oh, but this might be a problem, so maybe I should do it this way, and it's it's just the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you have to you imagine you have your your uh, known unknowns or whatever. Right, right, <laughs> you try to yeah. like plan for all those scenarios. Yeah, if I if like I have a better idea of what I'm designing, then I don't have to like uh, do all of that wishy washiness. Yeah, wishy washy. Mm-hmm. But even like coming up with like, how am I going to form this data structure? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, it's, 
it's hard to know exactly what you're going to need. Yeah. And if your design process is a draft and it's a good, you know, good enough to go on, but not like, it's like, you know, how many high score metrics am I going to keep, keep track of? Right. Well, you don't know that right away. Yeah. So it, it is sort of hard to have that system fully formed, especially without any playtesting, yep. stuff like that. Yep. Martha, you just started a game. I mean, just started is not really fair, but <laughs> you, you just started actually implementing and de- developing yes. uh, your point and click. Um, what was sort of the first pieces you put together and why? Well, I guess I started with like I, I made a whole bunch of scripts files that were empty, but just were things that I thought I'll need later. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been trying to make like a vertical slice of the game so that all the like programming mechanics will be there and I just mm-hmm. have to make content and yeah. like generate content and stuff, put them in there. And I think one thing that I'm struggling with is that I don't know how to implement a lot of the things that I'm wanting to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're wrestling with like the Unity API, right? Which is just yes. like, those are just facts you need to know. It's not, yes. really, it's not really about skills you need to have. Facts with very little documentation <laughs> that is geared towards, I guess, how I think, yeah. or uh-huh. at least geared towards people who aren't coming from a certain background, right. maybe. I've, I've heard that from a lot of people that like, Unity is uh, unintuitive for traditional programmers, I think. Uh, and I, I'm certainly not a traditional programmer, so that I mm-hmm. like only program in Unity. So I'm like, yeah, Unity's great. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. But like, I, I totally feel you all on that. It's so funny because, uh, Martha, you taught me Unity at a game jam uh, uh, near when we first met. And, um, and I, I've done a couple of projects since, and I feel the same way that you're feeling now when you really get into the API, which is like, it makes no sense if you come from other programming backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that I have a super strong programming background somewhere else, but I have had enough of it that I thought I knew how most APIs worked. And it's very different in a way that is unintuitive in certain ways and, well, and like overly simplified in others. And then you're like, oh, this is so easy and perfect. And other times like, why is this so complicated? It's a- <laughs> Well, I was, yeah, I was trying to figure out how to like have an object that has a collider that you can click on. And yeah. I'm like, isn't that the point of a collider that you can click on something or like that it will detect? You won't have to go do stuff that my dad had to do when he was making games back in the day mm-hmm. and had to like actually mathematically calculate every frame where the, where the hitbox is and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like that shouldn't be a thing I have to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I kept asking people like, uh, so how do you detect clicks? Because I can't like just searching that is not giving me anything yeah. useful. And they're like, Oh yeah, I guess you could like, you know, fi- figure out mouse position and then like detect what thing is underneath it. And oh. I was like, how can that, that can't be what, how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and there's these built-in Unity functions that once I added the word collider to the search, that popped up Mm -hmm. as a thing, but it wasn't on the Unity forums. It was on Stack Overflow. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Where someone was banging their head against the same problem. Like, what? How how do I? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and this is that you've built Unity projects, plenty of them, but this is the first one that you're using mouse click. So it's just, you didn't use these things before. Yeah. You just needed to find them in the toy box. Exactly, right? and then you just feel silly because it, then it's like, oh, of course, but there's no because there's no like one way to do these things, and so yeah. it's it is hard to write how tos and documentation, but a lot of times they become kind of counterproductive in that they they tell you step three or something, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and a yeah. lot a lot of Unity boilerplate code because like the way I learned to program is by and I think many people will say this um, is 
you find other code that does what you want to do, sort of, and then you take it and then you use it. And then as soon as it doesn't fit your purposes anymore, you start adapting it and then you learn how it works. Uh-huh. And that's really great. Um, Unity boilerplate code like that, if you find it, is it goes into the black box and comes out of the black box, which is the unity engine. And it's meant to be very simple and like easy to use, but it's hard to figure out how it works. A lot of what you do in unity is in the editor. And it's taken me a while to appreciate that, Mm -hmm. um, that like you don't have to, code everything yeah like you know it's i'm like but i it's but i need to build it all myself like you know but um i mean that's part of it like starting is picking out a game engine right to work on yes that's a good point like um certainly you know whether you want to build like you know if you're an ios developer and you just use xcode all day and you know it's like middle of the game in that like find a find an engine that you can write an objective c you know um I mean, I'm sorry for you, but like, <laughs> go ahead. And, uh, you know, or similar if you're, you know, if, if you're a Java programmer, then like it's easy to find Android libraries in a language you know uh, to make uh, mobile games that way. Yep. And that can be a good place to start. Otherwise, if you really don't have, if you don't have a lot of background or anything to sort of leverage on, or you're ready to give it up and move on to something brand new, because sometimes that can be really invigorating, uh, you pick something that you, you know, uh, don't know. And you, usually, if you, uh, you know, if you're picking something, that it's not because it's your background. You're probably picking Unity, mm. uh, Unreal, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, those tools really are—they're very WYSIWYG. The drag and drop—you can do whole prototypes without writing a single line of code. Um, when I, I talked about this on the show before, when I did my VR game for Global Game Jam, it's probably the least code I've ever written for any project in my life. And it's a VR game. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... It, it was mostly design and configuration work, and that uh, I got a lot out of that. But very, not as a lot of programming uh, that I had to do, and that's because it's a prototype. Right, right. Um, you know, over time, that's the the pieces I just grabbed elsewhere would be replaced or su- uh, supplanted or, or augmented or whatever. Um, but sometimes it is just it's never been easier to start programming a game without programming. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's part of why I like. Of course, I mean, <laughs> I, I I do start with like a bunch of scripts and stuff. Yeah, uh, depends on like I said, it depends on what I'm doing. But like, mm-hmm. if I'm making a platformer, most of the times. Unity's got that covered if you just want to mess around with junk. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to make a, or a turn-based RPG or something, you have to program stuff. Yeah. Or find or buy a thing. And I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to buy a thing, so I just program stuff. Yeah, there are so many like uh, asset store kits mm-hmm. that are like full. There's like an MMO kit you can buy on the Unity asset store, <laughs> and it's like, I guess like that's. That's wonderful and because think, that means like a person can actually start making an MMO project. They just have to yeah. spend a bunch of money. And you know, the okay. more robust your asset, the fewer choices you get to make. Yeah. And so that that always has always made me very nervous. Mm. And so that's always leaned me towards the bad practice of reinventing the wheel. And so you have to find that balance, I think, between like knowing when to when to take it and 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 make it your own by not necessarily starting from scratch, but by discovering what you want out of it instead of starting from somebody else's solution and tweaking it. Yeah. Because then that limits your creativity in a lot of ways. Yeah. It can sometimes unbound you in a, because you don't have to worry about like, oh, that's compiler error. Um, you, you know, so it's, it, I don't know, there's not really a right answer for that sort of thing. For sure. Yeah. Related to Unity yeah. is a thing that, that really struck me when I started doing game programming versus sort of normal like web development or, or um, general software programming mm-hmm. is the idea of object-oriented programming versus the entity component model that you see in an engine uh, like Unity or Lumberyard is another one that uses that pretty thoroughly. Uh-huh. Um, Unreal is a little bit of a mix, but it, it has that, that model. Um, and you know, for a lot of people who are Unity-only uh, developers, it the idea of object-oriented programming, it just never comes up. It's there. It's because C-sharp is an object-oriented language and it has all the 
features and you know inheritance encapsulation all that stuff but yeah um you don't really need to use it um the thing but at for me, I I am a self-taught programmer, and I learned object-oriented programming by like drilling it all into me, and like like really learning it the hard way. And um and I so I took that knowledge, I, I valued it so much. Mm-hmm. And then looking into Unity and being like, okay, here's a player object. Why isn't it class player? Why is it a game object with a player controller uh, component? Like the logic of it was so weird to me. Mm. Like what I want to do is I want to have player dot hit points. I don't want to have Git component by tag equals player dot that. git uh, git game object by yeah. git component uh-huh. the name of the script that has the uh, like all of that it seems very fussy to me okay and um and, and also seems like more code than I want and also um it makes it harder to reference objects from each other and it makes scope very difficult and it makes you have more public or serialized variables mm-hmm. to use it in the editor and all of this to me is like I hated it so much it didn't work for me it felt like wrong in a way that like was very frustrating and then I just use Unity more <laughs> and I'm like oh it's fine it's like totally fine mm-hmm. you just have to change your way of thinking a little bit um, and it, it, I had to like I, ha- I was not able to rely on a lot of the 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 sort of instant knowledge that I could r- recall. Like, how do I do this thing? Oh, this is the structure I would build it as. Um, but that everything in Unity is a game object. Um, that everything is inherited from Mono behavior. It feels so, from an object-oriented perspective, like a object-oriented dogma. It's like scary. That is so scary of an idea. But like, it works. It works perfectly fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. And I, it's taken me a long time to unlearn, or not unlearn exactly, but to let go of some of that, the programming dogma that yeah. I that I taught myself. Yeah. Um. And uh, that's definitely one of those. And and the, that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about um the engine Godot, uh, which is very Unity like, um, but it's vi- has a very object oriented um uh, metaphor mm-hmm. and how how it works. And I'm yeah. I'm very excited about uh that. And uh, Martha, you also seemed interested in that one too, right? Yeah, I was uh, in one of the interviews with um, the groups at the Global Game Jam. One group was using Godot, and I had never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. And so I was just looking over their shoulder, looking at how it was working. And then I checked it out a little bit when I was in full Unity frustration mode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and found that it would be a lot... Uh, it seemed really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it has a lot of. It's an open source project, and so that's exciting. But also, like you know, uh, take its claims of being as good as Unity with a grain of salt, because so it goes with many open source projects. Um, but it is uh, has incredible renderer, which is really exciting. It moves pretty quickly because its audience is a lot smaller, so it can innovate faster than Unity can. Um, it also can like learn from like all of the the, the best practices and mistakes of other game engines. Um, whereas there are certain things in Unity where you're like, why doesn't it work this way? It's like, oh, because it would break millions of people's workflow. That's why mm-hmm. they can't change it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that makes it really difficult. Um, but the thing that excites me most about Godot is that it works very much like Unity in that you throw things on the stage and you, you know, has a, a WYSIWYG sort of component. But everything, instead of everything being a game object, everything is a scene. So when you have a scene in Unity, you, um, you put, you know, you in, in the hierarchy, you put game objects in it, and then on yep. those game objects, you put components. Mm-hmm. In Godot, at least the way I understand it, and I haven't really used it, so this, this is a pretty r- rudimentary understanding of how it works. A scene is just is is a game object. So in a scene, you put a player, and the player is not a game object. It is a class that you have defined, which is an extension of a scene. 
a called player. So when you put the player in your in your game level, then you cl- double click on the player and it opens up the scene that is the player. So there's no prefabs exactly. Mm-hmm. Everything is just a scene, which may I mean if anybody has ever used Unity to edit a prefab and accidentally hit apply and then hundreds of their other objects get effed up, like because Unity has no WYSIWYG prefab editor. You just have the inspector. You don't have, it's, it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And uh, Godot just sidesteps that entirely by just yep. saying these are all just nested objects. Uh, that's all it is. And that is very object oriented. And behind the scenes, it is just a basic object orientation. Um, and that is, man, that, that is so exciting to me that you could actually have a system that works like Unity but has object-oriented principles. Yeah. I don't have a lot of experience with Unreal. Um, I don't either. Yeah. It looks cool. Yeah, and there's, speaking of interesting programming things, they've got their whole visual scripting right. sort of thing, which I've never tried before. Have you tried anything like that? I have. Um, when I was working on the, the Holodeck VR thing over the summer, um, I, was in, I was talking with some people who had done an, another Star Trek fan project, um, uh, and they had done it in Unreal, and they lent they lent me their project so I can see how it works and if, and 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 if I could adapt it for my purposes and use some of the work that they had done, and um, I could not make heads or tails because <laughs> you know it, it's reverse engineering somebody else's project is hard enough, but right. also using that to learn a game engine bad idea. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, there's a reason that those smaller tutorials exist, but um, but the blueprint uh system the, their visual coding is really interesting because. Um, it's C++, uh, which is not a very newbie-friendly programming language, but they obfuscate it behind these nodes. And so you have this blueprint, this 2D plane, and you have these just objects that are on there, and they are uh, methods, variables, um, callbacks. They're, they are the uh, objects of programming. And they have uh, little um, uh, connector points that you drag from one to the other. You drag, like, say, an, an, uh, um, a return from one node to the argument of another node. And, and, and I'm just speaking it in programming terms, but basically it's just inputs and outputs, which is all programming is. And so what's nice about their system is that it's visual programming, but it's real code underneath that you can look at and change. So you can write your own objects. And it, it's, because man, sometimes I just wish in a code editor, I can just drag and drop a variable somewhere. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And th- this is basically that, but, but at a, a much more, you know, much more visually, I would love an in-between solution. Um, so that's really exciting. I feel like I'll never move away from Unity as the main thing for my next big project, mm-hmm. but I do want to try them all, you yeah. know? Okay. And especially as it, it, I'm mostly a team of one, so I can, there's no real reason tying me to any particular thing other than the benefits of, of its, its a, a wider public community. Yeah. Uh, which Unity certainly is, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the, the place to be. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really curious about like the, the significant the differences between like game programming and just regular programming because all I program is for games. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I know that um, in sort of I mean regular programming is kind of a maybe that's not really fair. <laughs> um, and I, I I don't have like a ton of experience as like a software developer, but I have a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, the way I learned object oriented programming was through uh, desktop Flash applications or Adobe Air. So okay. that was those were general purpose applications generally, and the program and the engine were designed for general purpose. Um, a desktop software and a lot of times um, the sort of main things I would say are in game programming you you can be a lot lazier you also know your user a lot better mm. this might not be true of a more complicated system like big RTSs and stuff um, or, or like open world sandbox games exactly but for the most part 
you um, in in games you have a limited set of inputs and they multiply by the possibility in the possibility space of the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. But you have a much more controlled idea of what the player can do and how. It, I mean, if you're writing an IDE, for example, if you're writing a, a program to write programs, well, you know, you have to account for a lot more than if you're just right. writing a game. Yeah. And so a lot of times, the things I've learned in with games is just the things you the lazy things you can do, and that's maybe not a right way to put it. But like you can just use statics all over the place. Like it's okay. Whereas in you know general purpose programming, you want everything uh, separated from everything else. You want references and callbacks to objects from other objects. Mm-hmm. You don't want anything in global scope. You want or hardly anything in global scope. Oh. But in games, you want to just like I don't know how many points does this guy have. Like I don't need to. I don't need to go searching through the the you know, the inheritance tree and yeah. all the objects that are in memory. Yeah. I can just keep a, a, a game status uh, class in memory all the time that just stores the important things and just call on that. And like, mm-hmm. um, but in uh, that's sort of seen as a kind of a, that it, it moves away from more, more robust uh, programming practices, but for game purposes, it makes a lot more sense because you have less, there are fewer modes in games than there are in general software. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, being pretty, I'm generalizing a lot, but um, for the most part, uh, you you really can. I mean, you can get away with anything <laughs> in game programming, really, a lot more than you can with other things. Players complain about bugs, but it's not going to cost anybody money in the way that certain like uh, depends on the game you're making. Well, I suppose, that's true. <laughs> but you know, um, I use a lot of Adobe software, yeah. and it is like incredibly robust. Uh, very complicated um, uh, software environments, and when those things have bugs, ruins my week. Right. And so, um, despite the fact that people always complain about like Photoshop problems and this and that, like those those developers care more about bugs than game programmers do. Mm. Like they totally do, and they certainly uh, uh, have more infrastructure to address them. It, when you're making games, and especially if you're by yourself making games, dealing with every little bug, it feels like the most annoying, terrible thing. But it's nothing compared to like what the Excel team has to deal with. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's the main difference. Is that uh, um, you, there are less rules to follow. Yeah, you can is really more, what it is. You can do more and have to worry about less. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I think that there's still some general intro, general purpose programming concepts that are really important when you're doing game stuff. Yeah. I think um, uh, naming conventions is a really good one um, when you're coming up with um, like how you sort your data. This is more about like workflow, just like the types of objects you have and what you call them. Yeah, um, it's really easy to let that run away from you if you're if you are just uh, naming things as you go. And so one of the things that I always do when I'm developing um, and I'm building these systems is as soon as I need to name something that breaks a naming convention, I stop what I'm doing and refactor everything to the new reality. Like I do not let a, a variable name exist for longer than 30 seconds without meaning exactly what I think it means now. Mm-hmm. Because then by tomorrow, I will have forgotten what that meant. It will not mean that anymore. And it will just be like, it'll be lost to time. <laughs> and like, it doesn't matter how well I comment it. It's like, so I um, so it's okay to just come up with it as you go, but I think it's a really good idea to keep track and 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 constantly refactor. Refactoring is one of the, the the things that I've learned the most to like really rely on. It's hard to do in Unity because when you change the name of a script, you have to do it like three times. <laughs> like at least I feel like I have to. You kind of yeah. It's kind of a whole thing. Stupid crab arms. Is that <laughs> oh what you goodness. thought of too? Yeah, crab claw. <laughs> Yeah, crab, crab claw. claw. Yeah, like somebody accidentally named the script lowercase claw, crab claw. 
And uh-huh. now we can't get it to be uppercase claw. Every time we pull or some, I don't know. Every time it gets changed. It's, <laughs> and it breaks everything because everything's referencing the other one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, Martha, like, do you have to deal with like security stuff and all those things that Mark were talking about in, in, in your day-to-day job? Um, yeah, I feel like I have to do a lot more like, okay, what are you trying to do that my software is going to help you do? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, this is what I want the player to experience. Yeah. So it's like it the the experience comes from the the user instead of the experience coming from me to the user. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's a really excellent way to put it. And that's that's a design question, but it really it it permeates all aspects. That mm-hmm. like yeah, you, the player engages with your game, but the a general purpose software serves a use case. Yeah. 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 And and like. Uh, you kind of have to anticipate or feel out, like negotiate with the people that you're making it with mm-hmm. um, a lot more and like anticipate where your code is going to be, have to change a lot, like yeah. where there's going to be lots of iterations on it. So yeah. you can't code it. Like you have to plan that part out a little bit more so that, that it's not um, horrific for yourself later when you're going to have to go change it. Because right, right. the person's uh, use case has changed, yeah. or mm-hmm. they sounds, discovered something. That sounds just like a, a lot, a lot, a lot of planning. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why it's important to, like you were, Martha. You're saying when you're designing your game now, you have all these empty scripts. You've outlined your code in a way that is like that is really, I think, pretty valuable to get going. And, mm-hmm. and it, it certainly matters more when you have this, like larger constituencies of people using your software. Um, but it it brings up uh, the thing that I think is really important that I don't see a lot in uh, at least a, it's I don't see it preached a lot in game programming circles, which is like uh, really strict encapsulation. Like if you have a you have code that does something, it should all be in the same place. Um, if you have you know if you want to change how high your player jumps and you have to go through four scripts to do it. Um, that's that bad. that's bad. I mean, not just like that's bad, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's that's bad. Like not just from a like all of your code is in separate things, but like mm-hmm. you got to open four different scripts in order to change your jumping. That's well, it's that's it's. Bad. I mean, in terms as far as the compiler is concerned, yeah. not a problem. I mean, right, like, right. It's it's really just about uh wanting needing to change it later, and mm-hmm. it, it 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 aids your design process because as much as we would love to be able to keep those things separate, you you implement and de- and design in tandem. Yeah. Um, uh, and so being able to make those changes or t- just replace a script with another script. Um, one of the things um, uh, I gave a talk on object oriented programming at uh, MDEV uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really tried to drill in that talk was how important it is to be able to just completely remove a chunk of code and not break your project. And, but just to have one thing missing and then replace it with another completely different piece of code and now the whole program just works differently but every all, none of the other code none of the other sections of the code has any idea that that thing was replaced mm. that everything is ignorant to everything else it just sends out information and receives information yeah and i think that's really important to think about how it's going to be structured before you uh really worry about if it's going to work or not yep um and that is because yeah martha you don't know if other people are going to need to touch it I mean, sometimes you know, but it, future you is still another person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't want to F with future you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Other thing, comment your code, people, because <laughs> future you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's just a general rule for programming is comment your code. Like, mm-hmm. um, as you write, as you write it, assume you will forget it tomorrow. I just, I just, 
I'm just so confident in future Steven. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be like, yeah, yeah. He, he knows what past Steven was thinking. Yeah. He knows. He knows. He's got me. So what do you think about past Steven then? I'm not I'm not really a fan of past Steven. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, he's not a great person. He, he didn't he didn't comment his code. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I am really good at commenting, and usually that happens when I comment first, then write code. Mm-hmm. So, like, you write out what you're going to do, and then you put the code underneath it that is doing what the words say, yes. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And then other times I'm like, just got to make this thing work. That works. Going to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I th- uh, writing your comments first, I've heard that as a strategy. A lot of times I will I'll write out the name of a function. And it's I'm very verbose with my method and variable names. Like, um, I mean, like to an OCD degree. Like, I will spell out everything. Like, I, sometimes I'll use the word index instead of I in a for loop. Like, that's sometimes I'll do that. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that why it's an I? <laughs> yeah. Well, then why do we use J? Because J comes after I, and sometimes you need oh, two indexes. So sometimes, I, I, actually, a lot of times I'll do that when I need two indexes. Because uh, if I need three or four, I'm starting to get. You never want to use L as a variable name. Like, oh, yeah, that, this that way lie dragons. That's confusing. Um, so I'll just do index one, index two, or something, or oh, okay. like, just to keep. You know, if I can just need them for a while, or but, if I need to, but not Gindex. No. Yeah, but so a lot of times I'll, I'll write a function and like I know what I want this to do. I know what I want to feed to it and I kind of know what I want to, re- what to, to return with or what I want it to operate on in this block of code and I'll just kind of toss that in there as a draft of it and that will be sort of my first draft comments. Mm-hmm. Then I start building it and then after that I then step through it and describe it to myself and I don't know if that's slower. It might actually be but I find that fairly useful because I find if I'm more specific about what I'm going to do, I tend to then develop for that specifically rather than for the task, the job it's really supposed to be doing, I suppose. Mm. Um, but I guess it just goes to show that like everyone has different habits and different strategies for getting their be- the best work out of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Right, I just yell up my past self. <laughs> that helps me. Sometimes I leave notes for future and past me in my personal projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll leave jokes for myself sometimes. Like if I'm having a tough time or like I, I know this is kind of silly and I know I want to return to it later. Like because, you know, six months later, I'll, I will come back to it. I'm like, was I done with this or was I was this draft too? I don't remember. And it's hard to like suss out exactly. So I will put those little reminders in there to my, myself like, you know, it's a, it's to a do. Yeah, it's a common convention yeah. to do. In fact, a lot of uh, languages and IDs will have uh, standards on how you format a to do a comment so that it can uh, be easily searchable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I leave all of my jokes in my commit uh, <laughs> comments when I push stuff up to Git or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's the fun stuff. I'm bad with commits. I, I tend to put too much in a commit. Um, oh, you mean you mean too much information? On? Yeah, I think Martha, you in the uh, version control, you made a really good point, which is like you you make a commit when uh, for one thing that changes. Yeah, right. That's ideal. I never do that. <laughs> Especially with I, my own projects, like it's. Well, I've been very bad, and I haven't even put my point and click inversion control. <laughs> no! it's okay. No! It's okay, Martha. We forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's one thing about this show that's constant is that none of us practice what we preach. Yeah. <laughs> that. Oh my goodness! At least not completely. Uh, yeah, we're not do perfect. what I say, not what I do. <laughs> yeah, we, we're not perfect human beings. Here. <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, another thing that is pretty common um, in general pur- pur- uh, purpose programming, but really, really common for game programming is mm-hmm. like u- utilities, 
um, like a class where you just keep a bunch of functions and you're going to reuse a lot. Yeah, I've been doing that. Um, a little bit. I do tend to rewrite the same functions over and over again. Yeah. So I, sometimes I have to go through my code and police it and go like, okay, how many times did I write this method? Like, how many different names did I give it? Like, yeah. like, oh, this is a better version of it. I could have used it in that other place I used it. And like, it's, it's really easy. And because it's so many different little tiny files. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. Not, not great at keeping that. I just realized but, like if I'm typing the same function like three times, I'm like, wait a minute. Because if I come back to it and have to change the function, I'm not going to want to have to change it for all the times I use the function. So like I've been been using like uh, utilities and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. More frequently. Having a, a, a strategy for um, using your own code more efficiently is, is particularly beneficial in game programming because you want to build things quick and test them quick. Yep. So I want to ask you guys about a um, little history of all of us here. We've talked about our own journeys and, and you know, how we've learned the things we've learned over time. Um, but I want to sort of be specific about, you know, what did you, what was the first thing you, what was the resources and, and uh, materials you used when you first started programming anything? And then what are the, what's the first experiences you had programming games in any capacity? Mm-hmm. Steven, we'll start with you. Uh, 60 seconds on the clock. <laughs> I have not. Okay. I mean, aside from one middle school class I took uh, for web development, I have not programmed other than for, for game development. Yeah. And I started with game development with Dirk Basic because it was supposed to be an easy way to introduce yourself to programming, but it just made me frustrated and I stopped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and now, um, now, I, now I use Unity. Well, what were the things that sort of taught you what you needed to know? Like- My parents. Oh, yeah? Well, my dad mm-hmm. specifically and his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, they are they're computer engineers, but my dad programs a lot and stuff, and so he understood how all that worked. And also my brother. Yeah. And basically, I just had a lot of help from my family. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like that was helpful. Otherwise, I would not mm-hmm. be able to do any of these things yeah. that I'm doing. Was is Fingence your first Unity project? No, no. Technic, no, it's not. Uh, I made another game that I don't want to talk about because it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Redacted. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, yeah. Base, well, no. I, I so when I was up in Duluth uh, and I was going to school, there was this there was this club called Media Arts Club. Uh, Lizzie uh, was in it, um, and we she she was she was the president really. She like led us all to this thing. Uh-huh. Basically, it was just the front so we could work on games uh, <laughs> and talk about games and things. And so we did like trying to make some Unity projects. Uh, I don't remember if I did. I think I did some of the coding for it. Mm-hmm. Or did my brother. One of us did. Uh, so I did a little bit on that. Um, and so I dabbled with it here and there. But Fingence was the big thing. It was yeah. the main, like, it was the main big project that I worked on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, for me, my first programming, I'm trying to trace exactly. It might have been HTML. Like three yeah. point something, <laughs> like in the late nineties, because um, I, I I build websites for the arts projects that my friends and I did, like our bands and our video projects and stuff like that. And we, you know, we uh, so I learned progr- I learned programming and web design specifically in service of some other art I was doing. Yeah. Um. And um. Uh. But in middle school, I took a C plus plus course, which is really funny because I I have pretty strong memories of it, but it it does not form the foundation of any of my programming knowledge at all Mm -hmm. because it was so separate from everything else I learned because I'd already seen some JavaScript by then I was programming uh, ActionScript 2 in Flash to make animations Mm -hmm. at that point and C++ was at least the way it was presented to me we, we, we just edited in Notepad and then we ran it through a compiler in on the command line and then it was all just 
in a in a DOS window uh, things. And but the first thing I made with that was like a quiz game. Um, where you where two players had their hands on the keyboard and there was four keys each for multiple choice ah. and it was you know you really rated on accuracy and time and the, I, I think the instinct when you're when you're young is to make games I think it's that when you there's not you don't really want to make anything other than that I don't mm. think um, maybe uh, animations and stuff like that there's like certainly like uh, Pico Eight and uh, there are lots of like JavaScript libraries for people who want to learn how to make cool looking things. Yeah, um, that wasn't true, or at least it wasn't true for me when I was young. Um, but really, it was it was Flash um, uh, making um, uh, uh, animation projects mm. and learning that I could add interactivity and uh, I could oh I don't have to do this part twice I can just loop th- this part of the timeline and I and so like. Everything I've learned for in programming has always been in service of something else, um, and that that still drives how I learn uh, how to do things. Is okay. is not necessarily to be a better programmer or learn programming things. It's always been because I had a very specific thing I wanted to do. Um, mm. It's probably not. I guess it's not that unusual of a thing. But like, I never wanted to learn programming for any purpose at all. Yeah. But I, but I, and I look back and I don't really call myself a programmer, but like I have a lot of experience in that because everything I've wanted to make requires that. Even, you know, in my professional life when I do motion graphics, uh, video motion graphics, um, there's a JavaScript compiler in the, uh, in the keyframe editor. And that's how you do, that's how I would save myself hours and hours of, uh, of tedious work doing an animation on a client job. And then I could get it done three days sooner. Because I, I learned how to use some uh, code expressions in that, which is, has a rough JavaScript syntax. It's actually pretty terrible. But, <laughs> but, um, I, and so I've always, that's always been my, my approach to it. Okay. Um, and so that's what, the, why Unity is kind of interesting. It's the first thing I picked up that was sort of just this out-of-the-box thing designed for this. And so it, it's harder for me to approach it exactly, or, or was certainly when I started using it. Gotcha. Yeah. Martha, what was the first programming you ever did? Um... It was in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, one I I would program uh, my uh, equations into my graphing calculator. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! Um, so that I could save myself uh, time on tests because I knew all the for- like all the formulas by heart, and so it wasn't a cheating thing because right. I, I know <laughs> I could tell I could recite them all to you and how to use them and where but it just took a long time for me to hand write out all my work and like how to do them and to type it into my calculator every single time. So I made these programs that would like ask for like four inputs and I would like for X, Y, B and C, and Mm -hmm. then I'd put in the things and then it would step out all the different steps, like what you would get when you added these two things, blah, blah, blah. So I could write out all my work without having to, actually do simple addition etc that's just be there that's clever that's i wish fantastic. i was that clever in <laughs> <laughs> smart lazy yeah. <laughs> well you just proved me wrong about like you know uh, that you designed yourself a utility that was your first experience with it because smart little martha <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it was also because i would get like I don't have dyslexia, but I have like if I'm not paying attention, I will mess myself up with my handwriting. So mm-hmm. uh, on a lot of math tests, I would get things wrong just because I looked back up the the equation and read uh-huh. a six as a zero or a zero mm-hmm. or whatever. And so then my teacher would be like, 
you knew how to do this and it was right. You just read the wrong number. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was, it was a way to get around that too. Mm -hmm. And then around the same time, um, me and my friends were, it was similar where it was like, we want to make a web comic because web comics are really popular right now. And we <laughs> want to like, we have really cool ideas for that. Yeah. And so, um, we, I, my mom was like, Oh, Martha, we, you can make a website. Just go make a website. <laughs> Not realizing at all. Like how difficult that yeah. would be. <laughs> that's that great encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I made, uh, used Dreamweaver, Macromedia Dreamweaver oh, 8. Oh, I remember that. That's what I, I think I, no, one of them Dreamweavers was what I used in, in the middle school class I took. Mm -hmm. Nice. Cool. This is your first, uh, web development environment. Yes. Yes, and learning how to um, do HTML and CSS mostly. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any JavaScript. It's cool. So, and uh, first game programming experience. Oh, right. Um, Clawbreaker. Yeah. Oh, hey, I was there for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry. I'm that's actually really curious because you, I, I, up to that point, you had had a lot of programming experience. Um, but never made any games like little games or, or things like that. It always, always served higher purpose, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was always a, a tool to an end rather yeah. than, or like, I just never thought, I remember going to prime and we all had to like talk about what we wanted to make mm -hmm. or like, what was our dream for programming? And I had just realized like, that morning I was like oh my god I could make games <laughs> I want to learn how to make games and so that's what I said and wow so, yeah. that, that's so interesting I, that, I little it's Martha's origin story it's so great <laughs> uh, okay I want to end this topic quick uh, resources Martha you said you found an article you wanted to mention uh, yeah it was um, this medium article by someone who is learning to code and talking about her experience learning to code and how um, she took like a totally different route than a lot of us in that she didn't have a project she wanted to make. She just wanted to learn to code and how it was difficult for her because she's like, I don't, I just want, you know, to be able to memorize stuff because that's how I learn and how that that's not really a thing that we do very yeah. much as game programmers. Yeah. You don't just learn things, we apply it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, there's that always that thing that kids always say when they're in a class and they're like, what am I ever going to use this for? Yeah. It's like, that's the same feeling we still have today. Yeah. It's like, we won't really learn something unless we feel like we have something to, you know, yeah. some purpose to it. Yeah, yeah. But she approaches it completely differently and wants to learn before applying it. Yeah. Okay. And so I thought, because we've all have similar experience with that sort of thing that should have a different perspective. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> no, that's great. We'll put that in the notes for yeah. sure. Um, the one I just wanted to talk about one example, which is a, it's an ebook uh, called Game Programming Patterns, and it's free. You can view it on the web. You can also uh, uh, get a hard copy or buy like a Kindle version or something. Uh, but the author is giving it away for free, which is really cool. And it's a nice um, sort of. Um, it's pretty wonky, but it's also approachable. And it's it's sort of based on a classic uh, pro uh, program book called Design Patterns, um, which sort of lays a and is kind of a a very kind of monumental text, and then this this is basically taking those ideas and uh, uh, looking at them through a game programming lens. Um, it's really fascinating. We'll put that one in the notes as well. Um, and of course, and just the fact that it's available for free as a resource for everybody is really exciting, and it's very well designed. Um, and the last recommendation I would make is one of the things that helped me a lot when I started is having a book that describes the application of a, any programming language. 
like just um, one of those like O'Reilly texts, um, you know, with the the uh, like uh, stencil art of an animal on the cover. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like if you're if you if you are, you know are looking to if you have any programming background and you're looking to get into to, looking to just know more, um, I found that like. Uh, because I'm self-taught, there was so much Swiss cheese in my knowledge uh, when I really wanted to get serious about programming. It's helpful to just have a reference text. Sometimes you want a curated resource material. Yeah. You know? When I was programming in Dark Basic, we had a giant Dark Basic book. Yeah. And we looked up all of our information through that book. I think we might have like went on forums every once in a while if we couldn't find information about stuff. But yeah, we had a giant book, and it was really helpful because you just page through and go, "Oh, this is how you make a circle." Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Nice. Well, to focus on your programming, you need to have a nice spaced program in. Yes, that was that was well executed. <laughs> it was smooth. It was like didn't even realize it. Are we on a new topic now? Is that yes? See, I didn't even know. I wasn't even aware. Smooth. So it was. <laughs> so that transition was so good that it went right over your head, or it was so bad you didn't even see it. <laughs> oh no, it was good. That's what I was saying. Uh-huh. It was good. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> And now anyway. it's not because we had to talk about it. <laughs> all, our, all, our, all our best transitions have commentary. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay, my topic is workspaces. So where, where do you all work on your things? That. Do you work on it at a workspace? Uh-huh. Yes, but like, do you work on it at home? Do you work on it at, do you go to an office to work? Where do you, where do, you do it? Like, what does your desk look like? Uh, well, my desk is here at, at Glitch HQ. Uh-huh. Um, I am a resident here. Um, it's a co-working space, and I have spent more and more of my time over the past year here, not exclusively, but a majority of my work I do here now. Yeah, and I've, de- I, you know, I've been a freelancer many years of my career, and where I work from home, and um, I've there's always that sort of adage like, oh, you know, you need to get away from even if you're a freelancer or work from home, you still need to go somewhere, right? Yeah, a lot of people like just go to a coffee shop and work all day and then go home. Yeah, um, I've always been sort of skeptical of that attitude. Um, partly because my, my workstation was like, I couldn't take it with me. It would weigh a million pounds. Right. Right. Um, big, uh, you know, video rendering, uh, solutions. Um, but, um, also because I sort of felt like that's, you could sort of get over that sort of feeling, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love being here at glitch because it, uh, for, for all the reasons people like having a, a, you know, an actual place to go to, I think that's all true in the end, but mainly I love it because there are people here Yeah, and like that can bounce ideas off of that can like pick up my spirits that I can go to lunch with. And like just that, that, that makes me more efficient when I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise I still do a lot of my work, um, you know, out of my home office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just way messier because I'm not there as much. <laughs> Your home office is amazing though. Cause I, we had to go get something with when I was over one time with mm-hmm. Dale and it's like, there's so much cool stuff in there. It's like a treasure trove. Oh yeah, I have things on the walls that, and I've, I've it's almost like a collage of my professional experience in the past 15 years. Yeah, it's so oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, there's a painting that an artist made for a film I wrote. There's a, a couple of Club Nintendo rewards. Ooh. There's a postcard I got uh, from the um, the Paley Center uh, for Media Arts in New York City. Cool. Like, there's a bunch of cool stuff, and I do kind of like looking at it. Uh, there's a framed uh, record of the Talking Heads album, More Songs About Buildings and Food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, that, that room that I, uh, that it's a, the second bedroom in my apartment, it's like painted this periwinkle blue. Mm-hmm. And I am nothing if not like uh, efficient in, with my time. So I'm like, instead of repainting this color, I'm going to use it as the backdrop to a can- make it a canvas for what I want to put on the walls. <laughs> 
Um, cool. Yeah, I have a, it's very much different here at Glitch. I'm, I'm much. I try to keep things a lot more sort of minimalist and neat and tidy. Yeah. I mean, it is a co-working space. It's not your house. So That's like, true. You don't have as much space. I yeah. also have a desk here at Glitch, mm-hmm. uh, and I like it for the similar reasons. Like, there's people here, but I like it because there are people here and they keep me on task. Yeah. Because otherwise, there's no pressure on myself to do the work mm-hmm. that I wanted to get done, and so we I, take shifts. <laughs> yeah. Steven, you're doing your work today. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, like because if I'm working, I don't really. I hate working at home because specifically because like if I'm at home, I'm just on my computer by myself, and I feel all comfortable and nice. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna surf the internet or or whatever, go on Facebook or Twitter or mm-hmm. play a game. All that stuff is available at home, and I don't. When I'm here, I, I, I technically have access to all those things, but because there are people around me looking and silently judging whatever i do <laughs> it's like oh man i gotta do work because otherwise otherwise people will be judging me and so i i do work <laughs> so that that that's my mm-hmm. preference but um you know for my home office i definitely partly because it, it is a home office for tax reasons yeah um and so there are actually rules about that oh um and that's not the only reason but it is also nice to that is where i do work mm-hmm. um if i'm just goofing off on the internet um i'm usually on a laptop on the couch for yeah, that. and then and so it's good to have that psychological. Right, yeah, flex. you have a separate space specifically for work that yeah. you go to to do work. And if, if I'm goofing off on the internet yeah. at my desk at home, then I'm goofing off at work, right? Which is allowed, but that's the way. That's how I think of it. Yeah. So right, right, right. Like you, yeah, I I don't have that. I just have a spot where my computer is. Yeah, and I can do work there, but I can't. But it it still feels like home. Yeah, because that's where I also play games. So <laughs> yeah, it's a conflicting thing. Yeah. Uh, Martha, what about you? Um, I have my desk at home, mm-hmm. uh, which is very cluttered, and also my desk at work, which is very cluttered. <laughs> <laughs> um, and usually has a lot of like empty, like old food things on it, and it's bad. But um, <laughs> same. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like. Sometimes when I clean up is when I can't find anything anymore because like my piles are all like in chronological order slash like very, yeah I don't know, uh, like spatially mapped in my head where everything is. Sure, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, people who are organized, like, like as a rule, um, like I tidy up, but it's always a thing I have to do to myself. But people who are like are generally organized don't understand the idea of like putting a thought in a place. And that is really powerful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like just, that just memory. Just for now, that. just for the next three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Underneath these three other ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's there. Yep, yep, yep. I remember all that. It's like the memory palace or whatever. Mm-hmm. Helps you keep everything organized. Yeah. I mean, I wish I was a person who, because I feel like I also ruin things accidentally because they end up in like precarious piles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I feel like I can't have nice things because I just ruined them. Um, uh, so I wish I was a, a person who could like have a neat and tidy everything all the time. Mm-hmm. But, um, it is helpful to like, one of the reasons that my desk at Glacier is more organized. Um, uh, it feeds into my like OCD nature in general, but it's not just that there are people around to judge me. It's that people whose v- opinions I respect <laughs> are around. Yep, see? Just like me and working. It's the same way. It's not the same exactly when you're at a job that even that you like. Yeah. 
you know, it's that uh, it, here at Glitch, it's like my 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 friend peer group of people who I respect as friends, but also as like colleagues and artists and thinkers in uh-huh. in a way that like it's it's it hits all the buttons. Whereas yeah. like at work, it's like people who I get along with and are cool and are like okay at their jobs. Yeah, like <laughs> and so it's I'm less likely to like tidy up the stack of papers on my desk. I guess. Right. No, that's, that might be a very revealing thing to say. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that probably keeps it helps you. I don't know. Like that's part of it to me, anyways. I don't like it when my desk is super cluttered. I say with my desk being super cluttered right now, uh-huh. but because uh, it makes my workspace uncomfortable. I want to know like what makes your workspace comfortable for you to like to work at. I like when I clean my desk. Yeah, I also like to get all the dust and crumbs and stuff off of it. And I, I, I be, because it's like a, I'm not just going to tidy a little, I go whole hog and yeah. I get it perfect. And then it just slowly deteriorates until I need to do that again. Mm-hmm. So I'm not comfortable until I've done the whole sweep basically. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martha, what about you? Yeah. Um, well, I usually need to be bundled up cause then I'm warm. Mm hmm. Because working while cold is uncomfortable. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of when you said <laughs> not being cold. Um, um, and I like having my own space. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in elementary school, we like my whole school was a like alternative as you can get while still being in the system. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we called our teachers by their first names and did a lot of group work and oh, didn't have desks and just had like big tables. And I was like, I want my own desk. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I went to, I went to an alternative high school and we had very similar where we teachers by first names, lots of group things. Uh, we had a class that was combined English and science. It was one class that is uh, so cool. with social studies. It was really great. Um, but we all had our own like office desks in what? the, in this big open floor plan space. And so we got to decorate them and stuff. And so we didn't have lockers. We had desks that we worked at. And so it's everything like you described, except that last button. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. I could not deal with that at all. I went to a public school. We had desks. We mm-hmm. called our teachers by our last name. Yeah. I went to a public school. <laughs> that was a public school? Yeah, yeah for so sure. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> it's just, that's just so different for me that I mm-hmm. can't even I- imagine that kind of schooling. It was great. Like, I, right. It made me like appreciate, well, it made me appreciate teachers yeah. more because I didn't hate school as much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I also, so, like, sometimes I like working with music on and sometimes I um, don't. Yeah. And sometimes I like having people around and sometimes I don't. Yeah. Like, for example, um, uh, when I'm working at home, it, like I really like hanging out with Dylan, who's right next to me, because it's really fun. Mm-hmm. But it's also very distracting when I'm actually trying to work on something. Yeah, your and guys' so, desks are like right next to each other. Yeah. It's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because I like watching what Dylan is doing on his screen, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is probably distracting for him. But anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so oftentimes I'm like, put your headphones on and I'll put my headphones on and then we won't distract each other. Um, but then at work, I need like, 
uh, me and Adia used to share an office and she likes to have like silence while she's working. And so she would close the door, turn the lights off, put the shade down <laughs> and be completely silent in the room in the darkness. And I was like, I can't do this because I want to know what's going on in the office and like who's coming and going and yeah. like all that. I want to feel like part of uh, the community while I'm there. So I had to always have the door open. So it's interesting. Different places mean like I need different things to feel comfortable, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I'm actually, that's, it's interesting when you say sometimes you do and sometimes you don't for a couple of different things. I feel exactly the same way. Like sometimes I'll put on headphones with the intention to listen to music and an hour will go by <laughs> and it's just me wearing earmuffs. Like it's not, <laughs> and I'll have not noticed, you know? Um, and then other times I really need to have music on relatively loud if I am alone. Um, and then that really like gets me in the, the, the sort of space I need to be. And I can't really predict it. Um, or maybe it's just, I'm fine with both whenever. And I just apply it randomly, <laughs> you know? Um, but one thing I do need is a comfortable chair. Uh, oh yeah. I it, like, I don't have like back problems, but like once I finally spent some like real money, like on a chair, mm. I was like, I'm never going back. <laughs> like, I, I also, I, um, uh, this is very true of a lot of people, uh, especially people who like, you know, are, are um, information workers or, mm. um, or, or do art on their machines is you lean forward very frequently. It's a very common posture to lean forward into your screens. And I have set up, I've always set up my spaces now for the past couple of years where I can lean back. Because otherwise, it, I get uncomfortable right away, but I don't know why, and then I and then it just wears me down really quickly. Yeah, and so I'm I'm now I've engineered my spaces so that I can always lean back. Yeah, um, in a way because it took a long time to to train myself to sit differently. Yep, and I and I actually had to adjust my chair in a way that like. I actually have the back of the chair forward enough so that when I leaned back, it wasn't like, I, you know, I didn't have to crane my neck down and like it ended up, ended up having a lot of really silly requirements to train myself to do it, but I'm there now. And, and I'm really like, it's, I think about, about like, oh man, I used to get so uncomfortable. And I just assumed that was part of, it was just part of it. Mm. You just couldn't sit in one place at a computer for long without feeling pain. Like, you know, and then slowing you down and getting frustrated and getting angry and then needing to take breaks and I just don't have the problem anymore. And it didn't take a lot to change it. It's just like, I just didn't understand what it was yeah. for the longest time. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Chairs, man. Yeah. Chairs are great. <laughs> nice There's chairs. one chair at the office here. It's the, it's my chair. Yeah. It's very clear because nobody else wants it. It's the, it's so all, we have a whole bunch of rolling chairs. Uh, maybe we should, no, I don't want to take a picture of them, but like, <laughs> uh, we have a whole bunch of rolling chairs. They have <laughs> here. This is the sound of one rolling. <laughs> yeah. You, you got the image, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> goodness um but they all have like very sturdy bottom things but there's one chair specifically that just has, has like a mesh bottom that you sit on a little more comfy yeah i like that that's my chair mm -hmm. no one else likes that chair, but fine, so. <laughs> yeah we have some sort of like um sort of air on chair styles they're knockoffs yeah i think that uh uh glitch uh, ava is like a great deal finder and just got all these great yeah. office chairs and i have this fancy office chair i spent like real like paycheck money on at home and i really wanted to bring it in here to glitch but the chairs we have here are pretty good too mm -hmm. like the uh, those ones not the ones that, that you sit in that that weird uh, like regular chair that's a little different and you love it but yeah because it because um, because it has that mesh bottom like yeah. you can adjust yourself as you need <laughs> yeah as appropriate that's the one thing i really like is when you're sitting in chair is the ability to move and adjust sort of freely yeah. Um, rather than try to get the right posture and stay there for six hours. You should be able, you need, I, I need a chair that I can lean sideways in and still be comfortable. 
Yep. Uh, that I don't have to have perfect posture. Yep. That I can lean left and lean right and sort of lean forward just a little bit, but not too much. And then you know, if I have different like modes, you know, that that a chair can support that. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I'm 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 pickier than I was when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> One thought I, thing that I really like at my job is that we have sitting standing desks, which Ooh, are really nice. Right, man. Yeah, I'm jealous of that because <laughs> that seems awesome to be able to sometimes just stand up when you just need to your blood pumping a little bit mm-hmm. in your legs. That's good stuff. Is it? Is it good stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I need to take advantage of it more because I forget uh, to do to stand up. Yeah, yeah. Move moving around and taking breaks from working and moving. Yep. Is that actually pretty good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's nice about being here at Glitch is there's a lot of places that uh, you can go to get lunch and whatever else, which is nice. You can, and they're like within walking distance, so you can take a little bit of time to walk and yeah. not have to deal with work for a little bit. Of yeah. Anyway, oh, we have a couch here and That's we have a true. table in the back, yes. and like you, you can you can change your perspective literally, like to sort of refresh. Yep, it's pretty nice. Yeah, I like sometimes when I when I'm doing like heavy design work, I like to step away from my laptop or my computer and stuff and like work on that couch or somewhere separate from a computer, so I don't am not tempted by by the Twitter devil. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you do this, and like it's it, you go into this kind of like mode, and at first it looks like you're really sad about something. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> but it's like oh no no, he's got his little notebook. He he is on fire. Yes. <laughs> It's my time, right? Yeah, here. you just you do not bother Stephen in those moments. You can flag him down, but let him let him figure it out. Let him figure out what he needs to figure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do for um, like your computer uh, setups, like display? Do you like have the monitor like eye level, above, below? Do you like having do double oh. monitors? How big? Like all that stuff. Um, for at Glitch, I just use my laptop mm-hmm. most of the time. Anyways, I rarely bring my desktop in, um, and I just like adjust it as appropriate throughout the day, depending on how I'm sitting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I and I only use one screen. I can't do two screens. I've tried. It's too much. Yeah. It's just too much screen space. <laughs> and I lose my mouse on one screen. I don't need to lose my mouse on two. <laughs> so, yeah, that's me. And but you, you have a you use a mouse. You don't just use your trackpad. Or oh yeah, I prefer yeah. using a mouse for sure. My trackpad yeah. is not great. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Martha? Um, do you have you have you have like. You have three screens at work. I have three oh screens. my goodness! <laughs> it's you, so nice. How do you how do you keep track of your what do you mouse? put on those screens? Well, yeah. on one, I put the email because of, and and like messages from mm-hmm. um, tickets and stuff like that. And then one screen has the code, and one screen has the output of the code. Mm, okay, oh, that's good. Yeah, that seems useful. Yeah, web development like two panels you need at least, and having them on different screens is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit spoiled. How do you but, keep track of your mouse though? Where do you, she's giving that face again? again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I guess, I don't have a problem with that. Oh, I don't know. Well, okay, it could just be me. Uh, there is a really good tip that I have enabled uh, on my machines. Mm-hmm. Is in Windows, you can have a mouse setting where if you hit the control key, it does a little like highlight of your mouse cursor. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I use that all the time. Um, I use it when like uh, it's also very useful like if you're like your Bluetooth mouse loses connection or something like that or like the battery dies you can just bang on that key a little bit just to see because a lot of times keeping track of your mouse cursor is a matter of like your own predictive ability and then if it doesn't if the mouse is like you know, if your computer's running slow mm-hmm. or there's some problem with the, the, the mouse, like you'll, you will lose track of it for that reason. Um, and so it's nice. And so I definitely make use of that. Ah, okay. I'll just stick with my one screen though. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have just one screen at home. Hey, mm-hmm. and, and, and it works, right? Yeah. I okay. mean, 
I want my second one because I have a second one, but the way that the different feet and work and how big the desk is that doesn't work to have both of them unless I yeah. buy an arm and I haven't just haven't done ah, that yet. Okay. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've gotten better at using just a laptop because mm-hmm. I, I, I use my laptop a lot more than I have in years past. Yeah. Um, when I was tethered to my big video rendering workstation, that was pretty much, I, I had a laptop, but I used it pretty rarely. Um, but, uh, I'm a little better with that, but still I'm very much two screens. You have to have two screens. They have to be identical and angled in such a way. I'm like very, like this. <laughs> like over the years I've built up this thing. I just need to have. Mm-hmm. And Martha went, um, at, uh, um, at my, uh, uh old job, uh, I also had three screens and by virtue of, I had, um, a, uh, th- a work supplied me with a, um, a Microsoft surface book and, uh, you can take the screen off and flip it around and then it becomes a little tiny monitor that you could, that I put in between underneath my two actual monitors. Oh, it, nice. And then that little monitor in the middle, it had a touch screen so I could, you know, do a, a, a touch screen activities with it. But also I kept email on it for that reason. When you're at work, it is nice to just have the screen for email, um, you know, or Slack or whatever, you know, equivalent. Yeah. Um, whereas if you, if you're not in part of a big organization, that's not really as, as necessary, but it's good mm-hmm. to have that thing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I, man, uh, two screens is something I've always done for, uh, with my video work and that's where I learned that. Yeah. But, um, but when I do any kind of like graphic design work or uh, game development now, it, I have to have two screens. Mm-hmm. Just having a little extra real estate can save you, you know, 30 minutes a day sometimes, like just having that available to you all the time. Um, but then even for other tools, I have a design tool like Photoshop or animate or something open. Mm-hmm. I will then have a sep- I'll have a web browser and a text document all at the same time. And being able to just, like lightning multitask in that way is really, really efficient. It lets you, it unchange your imagination a little bit if you organize it right. Yeah. Um, I might be talking it up a little bit, but like I find myself when I'm on one screen, I find myself really stunted in how fast I can do any one thing. Mm. Um, uh, it, a lot of that might just be like, I'm not as used to working that way. Sure. Um, but I, and you know, I'm, I'm used to sort of looking left, looking right instead of looking forward yeah. too. So, yeah. um, I, well, Mm-hmm. Yeah, one there's definitely I, like to it. one thing I will say is that uh, sometimes when I'm at home, I'll have my laptop open and also my desktop. Yeah, but they're like two separate screens, so I have to use separate mice. So like the two computers. Yeah, <laughs> right. Two separate screens, two separate computers, and oh. so I have two separate my, mice, and I don't lose them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that's kind of useful because I can mm-hmm. have one thing up here and then another thing up mm-hmm. over here, and uh, I can keep them separate. But it, it, but I still technically have one screen per. Which is great. <laughs> Never can lose my stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, last thing I wanted to bring up is like useful tools that you have around your workspace that mm-hmm. uh, you found to be great a great boon. Uh, uh, definitely a good pair of headphones. Yeah, um, for sure. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm o- over time. I've had relied less and less on things like notepads and and post its and stuff like that. I still mm-hmm. use that sometimes, but. M- as time goes on, less and less and less. Yeah. And I make better use of my digital tools. So I kind of don't need much else, I don't think. Okay. I don't think. Okay. Um, I have a tiny little whiteboard. It's cute. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I uh, write on that thing all the time. And other people write on that all the time, too. It's just kind of great because sometimes I'll just come into the office and, and there's just random scrawlings on my, on my whiteboard. And I'm like, what is this? I don't know, but it's fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I, I found that really useful because like, I can just crawl little notes or like say to do list or uh try to like sketch out something I'm trying to work out or uh scrawl or draw things or whatever I um like it's it's 
there's a lot of things I can use with it. So like I found that to be very beneficial. Um, I find that useful too because sometimes yeah. you'll have a list there and then I will add something to it as a joke. <laughs> so I get a, a lot out of that. Well, that, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely had pencil and paper around, or pen and paper around yeah. mm-hmm. for doodling and uh, note taking and stuff like that. Okay. I'll do sketches mm-hmm. on post-its and stuff like that. But it, for actual like notes, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all digital now. Sure. Um, because, yeah. because I want to be able to access them on my phone too and you know, put them next to something else. Um, I, mean, I, used to, I used to keep notebooks. Like, it, like every year I would go through a, like a, a new like, uh, notebook just full of it and I would keep them on my shelf and stuff. Yeah. And then one day, just stopped. Mm. I don't know why exactly. <laughs> I don't write more notes now. I think I actually I do a little less even, mm. but I don't know. Mm. Maybe because I would de- I delete more as I go, right? And I because I I'm 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 not saving everything. Yeah, like I used to. Gotcha. I don't know. Do you keep a lot of those notes, or are they really just like for now, and then later you toss it? Like, how, what's the? Uh, well, I have I have a bunch of notebooks and things I take notes. I took a picture of it on one of the shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and put it on there. Uh, but I, I keep those. Um, I need to like put them somewhere because they're cluttering up my backpack. That's a separate topic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously everything on my whiteboard is uh, temporary. Yeah, it's good to have something that's specifically temporary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I should get rid of more of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried, like, I've gone through part of the KonMari, like, tidy, tidiness book or whatever. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I just have boxes of papers. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> whatever you can do to get it off your table or whatever, or your desk. The problem is I make doodles on all my notes and then I'm like, ah. oh, it's art now. <laughs> Can't throw, throw away art. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm working on it. There's a lot of stuff that I can get rid of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's all I have. Oh, yeah? Yes. Okay, then. <laughs> That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Oh, and your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We haven't been missing a whole segment of the audience. <laughs> Maybe you'll make a friend because you'll realize that you're not enemies after all. Aww. <laughs> um, you can give us feedback on the feedback form, nice. which is nicegames.club slash feedback. And uh, if you're local to the community on the Nice Games Club channel of the MSP Game Dev Slack. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing, send us your topics, and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all of the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So... Till we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. That's oh, great. Okay, maybe you can also be a generous person and not do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I found myself like when I figure something out, I'll leave a comment for whoever the next person is. Be like, 
Hey, just heads up. This is what this does. Yeah. I know it's dumb. <laughs> love Martha. <laughs> you should sign all your comments. Love Martha. <laughs> it's much more pleasant to read your code. Like <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.